Hello, lovelies. Welcome to another great episode of the Pavelcast, episode five with Tom Petrillo. Tom is a dear friend,、uh, so we have really a fun time talking for about an hour. Tom is an ex Facebook engineer. He's an ex math professor. He's an ex high frequency trader on the markets and options, both New York City and Chicago. Um, and he knows a little bit about the Internet of Things as well. So all those connected devices, all those sensors,、uh, he has an idea how all that works too. Being a developer for a pretty big company here in San Diego that works with that stuff, it was a great discussion. We talk about Bernie Madoff. We talk about trading. We talk about math. We talk about college. He gives us some interesting hot tips. We learn how it is currently living in Silicon Valley. I think there are some plus and minuses, you know, as, as there are usually in any endeavor in life. It was a great one. I really enjoyed it. You know, this was done virtually, so excuse some of that sound quality. Know that we here at the Pavelcast are always trying to do better.、Um, if you have any feedback, shoot me an email at pavel at datapavel dot com. Um, don't forget, datapower.com has a lot of cool articles and soon some new consulting services. Really looking forward to, to more podcasts, and this was a good one. We got a couple more coming at you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I surely did. Pavel Tsitlovsky and Tom Petrillo coming at you. Tommy boy, Pavel Tsitlovsky, how's it going, bud? Oh, I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing great, just great. It's a nice day out, and during the actual sun, it's a lot nicer. I、uh, love it. All right, welcome, welcome, one and all, to the fifth episode of the Pavelcast. I mean, today it's a Tomcast. Oh, it's a Tom Pavelcast.、Um, yeah, Tom Petrillo, my good friend, brilliant guy, is here with us today.、Um, it's Thursday afternoon. Actually, it's not even twelve yet, so I'm just drinking some water because I like staying hydrated. What you got going on, Tom? What you I'm cooking? I'm drinking coffee, and I also have some uh, some uh, blood orange soda that I purchased from Whole Foods. Ooh, in that one of those big bottles? Yeah, I wish they sold it in smaller bottles.、Hmm. Made in Italy, I think. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. It's delicious with rum.、Hmm, interesting.、Um, All right, so let's get into it.、Uh, Tom, how do we know each other?、Uh, we know each other through a mutual friend of ours, Daniel.、Uh, we met when you、uh, came when you came to start、uh, the、uh, former company you started called Simply Re- Request. Simply yeah, yeah. Request. Yes, you came. You moved in with our friend Dan, who I was also a big fan of, and、uh, you started Simply Request and.、Uh, You know, we met and we really hit it off. And then I remember watching the 2010 World Cup together at、oh, Daniel's,、yeah. and like that was a pretty good World Cup. Remember, David Villa just kept on scoring all of those goals. Oh yeah. And Diego yeah. Forlan. I mean, his career kind of ended after that, but、uh, that was a really good moment to hang your hat on. I'm a big fan of Uruguay as a country for World Cup. I don't know why. That year, though, they were amazing, and we we watched it together. Yeah, I mean, because they've got that Luis Suarez character.、Oh, I love very... Suarez. Well, he's wait, like he's、so、a Suarez ju- is the crazy ear biter, right? Yeah, he he bites ears. Yeah, I mean, he's a crazy guy, but、uh, he clearly has.、Uh, he's a, he's a goal scorer, and there's not a lot of goal scorers at that level. So, who's the one... blonde hunk? Is that Lugano or something? I like him. He's like a big defender. I vaguely know who you're talking about, but I'm not sure. He's handsome. Um. Okay. 
Yeah, so we yeah we kind of met in San Diego because you and Dan were both math PhD students and both surfers. That's true. And um, you were always kind of a fan of the the Russian Jew, though you're not one yourself. So we kind of bonded over that as well. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I'm just a, a big fan of Daniel Minsky specifically, and then. You know, I, I don't like to think of it in terms of Jew or not Jew. It's more just like friend or not friend. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm sorry. It's it's all that Soviet brainwashing that, and my parents that kind of still make me feel look at people through that heuristical lens, which I know it's not right. Um, I mean, Bernie Madoff, right? No, no bueno. You know, I was looking yesterday at the. They had an auction years ago about Bernie Mad of Bernie Madoff stuff. And he could have bid to get like a SEC plaque he re- or a, tr- a gold trade that the SEC awarded uh, Bernie Madoff for being securities broker of the year. It uh, really, you know, I'm, I'm really pretty it's crazy. Right? It would have been pretty nice to own that plaque. I mean, imagine you're starting your own hedge fund and you like put up that plaque just to let people know this is a quality place to invest. Interesting. See, let's talk about that for a second because like I was talking about it with my buddy yesterday. How, I mean, how is it possible that this guy, who at the end of the day is an end-to-end complete charlatan, managed to maintain this whole enterprise for, I mean, years, right? Like 30 years or something? It's, it's, a, it's a crazy number. For, how... him, for him to continually get more enough investment to continue to support the scam is very, very surprising. I mean, he... he... He must be a convincing guy or it must be it kind of snowballs. Probably at first it wasn't that big of a thing. He was hoping to staunch the bleeding at some point and it just kept it growing. And once it starts growing at a certain rate, like uh, it's easy. People have been getting great returns. Everybody wants in and, uh, you know, people don't really understand investing. So someone tells you they can't tell you what's going on and you just kind of accept it. Yeah. I mean, if Do someone's... No, I mean, I'm with you. It's interesting. Do you think that inherent corruption at the top, like, obviously, he, he, he went away unchecked. He, I mean, he knew what he was doing was wrong. Like, is that a characteristic? Is it, like, a power thing? Like, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Is it impossible to be, like, fully honest and transparent when you're I think if you the look top at, leader? I think if you look at, like, the top 100 top 1,000 richest people in the world, you'll frequently find that the way they got so rich was by doing something a bit corrupt or underhanded. And Mm -hmm. so then uh, as a result, when people are deciding to invest in a guy like Bernie Madoff, like uh, they're seeing, you know, you're seeing Donald Trump did this corrupt action by evading taxes, this corrupt action by uh, obtaining a hotel permit or whatnot. And you're assuming well, you know, he's winning. Why can't I win the same way? So you see a guy like Perny, you even think he's a little bit of a slime ball. And it's like, well, that's a good sign. I don't want to have a scrupulous invest in investment management firm because then I'm <laughs> going to get low returns. I mean, the whole goal is to get this like year over year one, you know, 10% returns are pretty damn boring. 100x yeah. returns, that's exciting. And that's what people want. So you, you know, when it comes to investment, people say they want stable, secure investment, but it's not true. People, you know, people want to retire. People want to stop working. So they want risky investments, you know, like uh, why keep on betting on a life you're not happy with when you could bet on one that sounds very luxurious. Right. People want that high reward. And if it comes with high risk, I think I guess most people are okay with it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
So let's talk about you a little bit. You, I know, I know some, I know some stuff about you. You are from Salem, Oregon. That's true. You did you go to high school there? I did. Sprague, Sprague, Charles Sprague High School. Public school or? Oh yeah, it's a public school. I went to public school for all but three years of my ele- primary education. I from first through third grade, I was at Sumter Elementary School. But then my parents felt I was getting teased too much, so I went to Catholic school for three years. So now I, I have a little bit of Catholic association. But after that, I uh, returned to the public schools, and uh, then I went on to study mathematics and computer science at Brown University. I went on to the University of California at San Diego, where I met your friend Dan, got a PhD in mathematics while studying spectral graph theory. And uh, then I entered the exciting world of trading and have since entered the startup scene. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Let's, um, I wanna, so first question, in public school, were you part of any like honors or gt talent programs were you like at all always into math and science yeah i was always into math and science i mean i really started to develop an interest in math around maybe the seventh grade and then like uh, back then i think a big issue with the like talented and gifted education was that it was really hard to just get access to advanced education because there wasn't an internet so you know say you want to learn about calculus or something you need a textbook. The textbook costs like $200. You don't know what textbook to, to get. You don't have anyone directing yourself. A lot of these online uh, things like Coursera really make sense for somebody, a young kid who's really motivated to just be learning at a much faster rate than the high schools can support. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, one summer, I wanted to accelerate my math. I wanted to like, jump levels. Mm-hmm. And I literally had to borrow a book, and I just like went through all the problems, did them all, and then I just had to take a final exam. And like it was painful with the book, there was no instruction. Today, I'm sure I, I can find a million of courses. It was like pre-algebra. I, I forgot yeah. what it was, or pre-calc. I could have, I could have easily gotten a better experience. It was now, interesting. Now, actually, looking back on it, exactly what did happen is I remember like. Uh, my junior year of high school, or maybe it was my sophomore year of high school, I uh, studied, uh, you know, I was really getting excited about calculus. And then I was able to win the, I won the Oregon State math competition. No and way. What, I did. What age group? Uh, I was, quote unquote, open one. They had open one and open two. And I was in the open one category. What's that mean? Uh, it was for people, everything not including calculus and open two included calculus problems. So I, uh, you know, I won that competition and I got like 500 bucks as a scholarship. I used, I invested it at uh, Johns Hopkins University, getting a, uh, getting a, get, taking summer classes on calculus. So I very directly invested it and turned it into more education. Um, so that's pretty impressive to win a statewide math competition. Yeah. You just did all that learning by yourself? Like you just picked up math books and did it? Or did you have like special school instruction? Uh, You know, like when you're inspired, you can search a lot and try to learn as much as possible. There used to be, you know, I I, like Johns Hopkins, you know, I had a lot of advanced questions compared to what other kids were interested in. And then Johns Hopkins ran and maybe they still do run a program where this is stretching my memory. 
they had something going on where they basically had kind of a forum and people would submit questions and they were all like, you know, like high school level math questions or below. And then someone very advanced would respond with like detailed answers about uh, how to solve them, what to do. And uh, so I, I, that's how I found out about Johns Hopkins. That's how I was probably originally getting advanced enough to win the competition. And then why I went through Johns Hopkins to take the course, which was very helpful. And uh, hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So math is a passion. You apply to college. Did you ever take the SAT? I did take the SAT. All right. Hit me. How many times and what was your final combined score? I think my final combined score was like 1420. Uh, probably took it. I, I don't know. Because do you, you always took the PSAT and then you took the SAT. I think I had an eight. You were a high scoring SAT score guy, but I still got you. But whatever. That's just. Yeah, a, I, a I know. I, I know. Because I got like an 800 <laughs> on the math. So I don't think I ever did better than like 660 on the English. Yeah. yeah. So There's no worse. So I, it's a frustration in life, but you know, it, it, <laughs> you, you've it, turned it, out it, okay. It, 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 I mean, that worked okay. I mean, my daughter Susan, she's gonna have to study three oh. X's hard given the level of competition now. Yeah, you, you have a beautiful daughter, Susan. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, minute. I mean, daddy's not rich enough to just buy her admission to a college, so she's gonna have to earn it. Not yet. Well, I think college might change by the time she goes to college. I think, as you were saying, this online learning. You know, do you really want to spend two hundred thousand plus on a four-year degree? Where I mean, you know, I went to Columbia, you went to Brown. Yeah, it's, it was a great experience, but Did I would rather take the... the money. I would take the money and, and do this. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, in retrospect, I mean, the biggest mistake was that while I was in college, I was enough. Go ahead. wasn't focused enough on establishing business connections and trying to start a business because yeah, yeah. a lot of people did at that time, some of whom were very successful. And if I had been more focused on that as opposed to smoking weed and partying, probably <laughs> later steps in my life would be more successful. Yeah, you know what I, if, any, if there's any college people listening, my tip is like, if you're into this art scene, like I'm into, you know, let's say improv or comedy. And I never really took the time to participate in my school stuff you should do it because that you should start young the younger if you have any interest don't wait till you're 30 to do it do it now and it'll you have a lot more fun so okay you're in brown brown is known to be as like a it's one of those really loose schools right like so in in my you know it's been a while since i went to college basically i had my whole curriculum mapped out i for me to get my degree I, I had 20 courses I had to take. At Brown, I thought you just kind of, you can do whatever you want. You can just like have whole classes with yourself. What was that like? Uh, I'm, I, you know, I mean, if it, that's one of the reasons why I was really excited to attend Brown. I was, uh, where's Brown? It's in Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. That's right. Okay. It, it does, I mean, you know, as, as with anything, with the Ivy League schools, it's generally only, you know, pretty a big concentration of the kids are pretty academically focused. So you've got go there already knowing what you want to study and are not just taking the courses because they're a requirement to graduate, but because you want to take the courses. And if you, have that, if, if you have that like type of philosophy and interest, then, you know, the thing of set your own, set your own rules, take the courses you want to. I mean, that's just kind of superfluous and you're studying what you want to study uh, and accumulating the number of credits what required if you had, to graduate. What if you have no drive? 
you you don't survive in that school? Um, I mean, there's certainly given the like open curriculum, it should be pretty easy to figure out a way to graduate. <laughs> But okay. uh, I mean, you know, in, any Ivy League school is going to half consist of kids who are extremely driven, and the other half are going to be kids who are extremely wealthy, and somehow both of them provide a different so, value to the school. Uh, yeah, and both of them have like a diff uh, an imperative to succeed, motivated maybe by different factors. Exactly, and uh, what's required of them succeeding is much different. So you're brown, you're chilling, having a good time in Providence, Rhode Island. You know, smoking that dope, partying with those ladies, and then when did you get into computer? Sorry, computer science. Were you programming when you were a kid in high school? Yeah, I, I was doing some software when I was in high school, and uh, you know, I I didn't enjoy that as much, but I, I knew I was a much better software developer than the vast majority of people I met. So, you know, you get there, and then some. Actually, a guy I know by the name of Nick, who was like my freshman, uh, like housing, like do they call them RAs, the people who yeah, live in the dorm, yeah, resident like, advisor. Resident, he was like, "Oh, why are you going to do math? You need to take computer classes, otherwise you'll never get a job." So <laughs> I took, because of his advice, I took the computer classes. So he doesn't know it, but he actually did, I guess, have a pretty substantial influence on my life based on that advice. And he later got kicked out as an RA because he had been coming on to some of the people in the in the dorm. So that the uh, hashtag. Hashtag me too. Well, he wasn't coming on to me, so not me too, but someone too. I get it. Yeah, it's just hashtags. Anyway, I mean that that's that's what happened. And then you know, Brown has a really good computer science course, and I was very interested in more theoretical computer science and took a lot of theoretical courses. Okay, yeah. So you like the theoretical stuff, right? So what is like as an engineer, I I always liked just doing the problems and solving it and following the the formula and, and figuring it out, combining formulas together. You like the actual proof stuff, huh? Yeah, definitely. Are you, what are you doing right now? There's water going on? Oh, I'm sorry. I was making more coffee. You're allowed to make coffee. We'll just, uh, this is, this could be part of the experience. So what, what's your, usually it's a happy hour podcast. You're not, we're not drinking it so early, but what's, uh, what's your coffee routine? What are you making here? Uh, my coffee machine is kind of broken right now. So I'm making drip coffee. What's your any recommendation for the coffee beans? What do you use? Uh, I intel. I think you can never go wrong with intelligentsia. Intelligentsia. I also feel pretty passionately for uh, for drip coffee specifically. Phil's makes a delicious coffee, so I, I'm pretty passionate about both of those things. So I don't know. Phil's has obviously done something to their beans that is not natural. It tastes very good, but it's not natural. So you should wonder why does it taste so good? Interesting, yeah. You're really uh, intelligentsia coffee. I knew well, there's one in Venice. I didn't know they were selling beans. Uh, I actually, I actually order online. They, they, they sell them all over in the grocery store now. But I can order online and then get the bean ground to exactly the specification I want through the online ordering process. And it's, it's not ideal. It would be better to have my own grinder. Like grinders are like two grand, so you you've got to make sacrifices. What? I can get a grinder for ten bucks on Amazon. If you want to grind espresso, 
the grinders are very expensive. If you want to make drip coffee or French press, which has lesser requirements as far as the fineness or coarseness of the grind combined with uh, allowing for more variability within the size of the grind, then it's a lot cheaper. It's all about how small you want the coffee ground to, and more importantly, how much variance within the coffee grind you're willing to allow. You know, there's like, uh, coffee is a good business. Like coffee shops, they make money. I don't know what other retail business I'd be interested in opening besides coffee shop, because I feel like coffee shops just kill. People are addicted to coffee. They come in every day. They spend their money. It costs nothing to make. I mean, should we open up a coffee shop? I, you know, I've long thought about that. I don't think it's um, get-rich-quick scheme anymore. <laughs> There's just too much uh, saturation for the product. And uh, additionally, people have poor taste in coffee. So, you know, you, you provide this really good coffee, but does I mean, it mean People drink people... gas station coffee. I mean, exactly. So you, it's a competitive market that's hard to keep up with and... You know, most of the people I see with coffee shops, they don't look precisely wealthy. So I think you can uh, draw an inference there that it's not going to be this ultra successful business that you would like it to be. I will table that for now. All right. So you're in Brown. How, are you like super smart? Are you finished in less than four years? I finished in four years. Okay. I mean, in fact, Brown's basic requirement for graduation is that you pay eight semesters worth of tuition. So it's almost impossible. You not have to... to stay. Perfect. Yeah. I, I mean, they're all about money. The number one requirement for graduation is pay for eight semesters of tuition. How did you decide that you wanted to pursue a graduate degree? Oh, you know, for a long time, I'd wanted to become a math professor. So it, w- it wasn't much of a decision. Oh, really? This, you want to be that? That was your goal always. Like, oh, I'm, I like math. I can be a math professor. Yeah, absolutely. And so you go to UCSD, you know, great. Have you been to San Diego before you went there for grad school? Uh, maybe once. Yeah, I had been there once before when I went to some conference or a, you know, I went there for a conference once before, but I mean, that was just conference focused and I didn't learn a, learn a lot about the city. But uh, I had been living in Los Angeles over the summer for a couple of years and I just liked the weather so much more than I liked the doom and gloom of either Oregon or the east coast so i just really focused myself not on only finding a graduate school but also finding a graduate school in a good weather environment awesome so i was pretty focused at that point on moving to southern california actually and that's what i did maybe i should have included hawaii too in retrospect just that's this is the power of um what do you call it manifestation just manif you manifest your own destiny yeah, at that point I did. And uh, in fact, uh, looking back on it, I then later moved away from being location specific. And uh, that was pretty foolish. I should have maintained my location specificity in future applications and future moves. <clears throat> so at UCSD, you're studying, you, sa- you said a spectral something? Spectral graph theory. Spectral graph theory. Let's, let's, I've never heard of this, so I think most people probably haven't. Let's see if you can break it down for us. What the hell is spectral graph theory? I mean, the basic idea is that uh, you, a lot of times the problem people will be solving is that, uh, well, let, let's say, like, what is a graph? You have, like, a set of locations that uh, you want to be able to get to, and you have a set of paths over which you can uh, 
can get to them. The paths are called edges. So, you know, let's say I want to so get like to... So, like, nodes and edges, right? So it's exactly. Like Nodes, you, nodes and edges. And you, so you, you draw have... a point, connect a line to another point, another point. That's a graph. And it can be infinite, I guess, right? Yeah. And what people really want to study is the number of ways to get from point A to point B, how short a distance to get from point A to point B, how is can you get from every point A to point B? They want th these are the type of questions people want to study. But when you have a really large graph, what uh, is what it's very hard computationally to figure this out. And so the kind of the idea behind spectral graph theory is that you would have a large graph, but you would say, oh, it's actually kind of generated by this much smaller graph. So you're looking at all the roads in America. But you find some type of relationship whereby all the roads in America are just really kind of have some kind of correspondence with the roads in Los Angeles. And then you figure out all the paths, paths in Los Angeles and are able to kind of use some trick to then figure out all the paths in the United States. Interesting. Okay. And what, what was your specific thesis on the topic i guess um i i like I, my specific thesis related to basically it, i mean it's kind of like what i was just describing you can count the number of paths in a larger graph based on some formulae attached to the smaller graph okay so like what about these social graphs right there's mm -hmm. all these social networks now i mean facebook twitter instagram whatever linkedin those form graphs. Is, is this also something they, you know, developers or? Yeah, I mean, you're getting into use? like the the privacy issue that that used to be, like, you know, we're always like you're always like a year too late. In 2010, 2011, Facebook was letting people have access to that information basically for free without any checks or whatever. And as a result, some people got access to this information, giving rise to the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And uh, while that's pretty upsetting, some of the things you can find out about, like, connections between people, people's friend groups, that's really interesting. It would be interesting to study. But it's not uh, – Facebook is clamped down on that, obviously, because of the scandal. So these social graphs exist, but uh, it's no longer possible to really get any data on the social graphs as a third party. Right. But the parent companies obviously can do it. Yes, exactly. And I mean that. I mean, and when we say data is the new oil, and you know, I'm the data Pavel, data Pavel on Twitter, datapavel.com, data Pavel on LinkedIn. If you need data, call Pavel. Um, you know, you can see it happening, and I love being in the middle of something that's changing and evolving. Like everybody keeps talking about, oh, data is the new oil, data is the new oil, but. You know, I can hear your breath, but I, I, um... I, I'm sorry, Pavel. I'll stop breathing. <laughs> Don't kill yourself now. You know, it's just, uh, it's interesting how you can, like, it's, it's all about figuring out how can I sell somebody to someone, something to someone, and using the data to do that. It's just trying, it's just starting to drive economy um, in a very interesting way, and. I think more so even to that, it's uh, more like I already have a pre-existing business and I've been collecting, and unbeknownst to myself, I've kind of been collecting data on people. And can I can turn this data into an additional revenue stream? So I have this idea. I want to go help yoga studios um, because I think, for example, my yoga studio, I shout out uh, Booty Yoga in La Jolla. 
uh, I'm gonna I plan on getting the uh, the founders on the podcast as well. But you know, they got an Instagram presence. They have mm-hmm. yourbooty.com for streaming yoga classes. They have the studio, obviously, to throw events. They have a website. I guarantee you, no one has integrated all this data together. And yeah, I'm, you know, I wonder once you start to look at all this data together, what you, you know, you'll be able to basically figure out ways to. I mean, it's all about the dollar at the end of the day, right? So maximize your profit, retain more clients. It's a, yeah. So like, it, what I'm saying is, there's still a lot of opportunity. A lot of businesses, even though to your point, have data they're sitting on, have not unlocked it across I mean, many I, industries. Uh, would you say that's true? I would say so. I mean, I think what's really unlocked for people is that. Uh, you know, their whole goal is to make more and more sales, but they don't have enough tools right now to perform experimentation on, should I offer somebody a discount to sign up? What about non-returning customers? Should I offer them a discount? And how can I, uh, basically with coupons and events, what is like the scientifically smartest way for me to maximize my area under the revenue curve? Do you think this requires data science or is this like basic dashboard analysis? I, I, for like a full-fledged solution, it's definitely what people are calling data science, or it's a lot of engineering effort and and data. It's a combination. It's a big job. It's big. It's not a, the type of job that the owner of a yoga studio is likely to be capable of putting in or have the time to put in. It's a very large job, which is no, probably, for sure. Probably it costs a lot of money, even if you want to hire people to do it. Exactly. So I'm thinking, can you not? How can you do it on a smaller scale where you deliver results quickly without having, you know, six months of development? And I think there's got to be... I think there's a lot of startups that are trying to help help out with this. I don't know that that much... I, I Still, for something like uh, the company you're talking about, I, don't, I think what it's coming down to is more not even graphing results. It's about putting advertisements on Facebook or Instagram... And then seeing what the outcome of those, ad, what your perception of the outcome is. And so having a very minimal ad, ad spend tracking on this. And, you know, the thing is, is those advertisements are so cheap. So you put $100 in, you see what your boosted revenue was at the end of the month based on also what those ad programs are feeding back to you. And uh, I mean, that, that's a lot lo- lower effort. And on, at the same time, you're less likely to make the correct decision because you're not tracking it in a uh, smart fashion, but you may get better results. Or you, that may be the best you can do given the amount of complexity and doing the job perfectly. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Yeah, and I think a lot of start, there's several startups out there that are trying to kind of make this possible for smaller companies. So the, the yoga studio, I think that's a little bit unserviced. I do think a company like Square they're trying to make this more accessible yeah. for those companies. They have access to a large amount of payment information, have access to people's email addresses, and can then send them out offers and stuff based on you having transacted there in the past. Something like this is a big opportunity for payment processors who have a lot of contact information about your consumers, more so than you do yourself. There's really a big opportunity there for them to really understand customer rewards programs, giveaways, it, things that drive business and how that affects your business long term. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think Square is doing that. Like, so point of sale for small businesses certainly 
that's what you're talking about. You know, Mind Body for Yoga is an app that almost every yoga studio uses. And I thought this was hilarious. To get an extra head of your data, you got to like make a custom request and pay them a bunch of money. But they do have dashboards that you can kind of extract metrics out of. Um, I mean, the problem is, how, I actually think maybe more so than that, it makes more sense for like QuickBooks or like Intuit to be, really be the leader here because <coughs> not everybody is going to do, is going to pay by credit card. Yeah, I mean, so there, sure. So like, you know, like one of but the But like things, most people do, at least in yoga. I mean, the number one thing to data is collecting all the data. <laughs> Data collection you, is painful. You know, if if twenty percent of your, you know, if you put out an advertisement and then it produces a boost in cash paying customers and you're not recording that, then you're making decisions inaccurately. Whereas if you, well, ultimately it's a business, you have to file taxes at the end of the day. If you're recording this information in some type of accounting software, well, this accounting software may even be able to integrate with your advertisements and tell you the results of your advertisements. How well are they doing? What was right, the incremented right. va incremental value to this? Because, it also files your taxes. Right. There's a lot of, right now, there's a lot of opportunities for big companies to become even bigger in this space. And it's very hard for a small team to make any crack because really what the key is, is already ha being, having one piece of the infrastructure that gives you a lot of this information. Welcome back to the Pavelcast. We are with Tom Petrillo, a ex-data engineer. Can we say where you used to work? We don't have to. Ah, uh, you know, just from... That's not to. Is always said. Ah, uh, you know, I don't know that it matters or not matters. Ex-Facebook data engineer, it matters for my brand because people hear Facebook engineer, they're like, oh, I want to listen to what this guy has to say. Um, it's true. All right, you're at UCGSD. Let's get back to your little origin story here. You're doing the math. You want to be a math professor. Mm -hmm. um, you do some of that graph theory. Look, let's not mince words about it. You're kind of a smart guy, eh? And then... I like how you're talking, Pablo. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. The most important—I mean, the most important thing in life is to remain optimistic, but also realize uh, how much, how many other people are working at the same things you are. Totally. Um, I don't know why you just said that, but that's 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 the truth. So don't you... be overconfident. Don't be, be optimistic. Yeah, don't yeah, be. Yeah, uh, yeah. Don't be optimi Be optimistic, but not overconfident. And you went to you got a professorship job, actually, right? At yeah, I lived for yeah, for which is hard to do. Yeah, for a year and a half, I was a math professor at uh, the University of Toledo. That was really pretty tough on me because I just didn't know very many people in Toledo. It's kind of uh, it's. It's, it's I, I don't know what the right description for it was, but it just seemed like was the cold? world was it's you could say it is cold AF there. <laughs> and uh during the summer it's very cold, or during the winter it's extremely cold with these level one, level two, and level three snow events. And the level three snow events, you just don't leave your house. So it's very flat, but they get a lot of snow. And uh, it's it's really pretty intense. They had some delicious food there, which uh, I, I did What really kind like. of food? What kind of food? Uh, they, they, there's this guy, Barry's Bagels had just delicious bagels. There was a place, there was this Chinese restaurant known as Ipo, which just had excellent $7 Chinese lunch 
Seven dollar. Yeah, it was really cheap. Seven dollar Chinese lunch. Wow. It was. I mean, maybe it's probably gone up a little bit, but Toledo is economically depressed. So you're going to get a lot of deals compared to what you have, and at the same same time, I mean, you're coming from advanced schools and stuff. You end up in a place like that. There's there's a bit of an adjustment there. People. People's goals and people's aspirations are a little bit different in a smaller town that's economically depressed. Got it. So you do that for a year and a half. You like teaching math, though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I really like teaching math, but uh, I don't know that I could handle going for several years transferring. I had the opportunity to stay at Toledo permanently, but I don't see myself permanently. Like, I. From an employment perspective, that would have been very good. But uh, am I really going to stay for for the rest of my life in Toledo, Ohio? I, what do you go yeah, next? I went on. I moved to New York City and uh, entered the exciting world of high frequency trading. HFT. HFT. Most people don't I, really understand what that is. Can you give us like a ninety second? What does HFT mean? I mean, basically, what's ha- it used to be when you wanted to purchase a stock, you would purchase it over the phone and the, someone would then contact, find who would offer you the best price among a group of brokers, and they would purchase you the stock. Then later, the exchanges moved online. This is actually NASDAQ that did it. NASDAQ was the first kind of online exchange. And uh, basically, now you would submit order electronically, and whoever offered you the best price electronically would be matched. And so you would submit a buy order, someone else would have sell orders, and they would match. High-frequency trading was basically being using computer learning algorithms to post prices for a variety of stocks and uh, basically do that electronically so that every time someone purchases a stock from you, you update the price that you're willing to, to pay at because, hey, you just received new information about what the price is of the stock. People purchased the stock. That must, means that you should probably sell it for more money because people are interested. People sold the stock. It means you should probably lower your price because people are interested in selling right now. And I, and I think the key takeaway there is you used to be a physical person would look and see the numbers change and react immediately. Yeah. But now you can have a machine do it. And a machine can do it... What what is it? The microsecond, the millisecond? Uh, yeah, microseconds. Like uh, those, they'll be a hundred of a second. Uh, no, that's like a mil, uh, a thousand, a million. They they the machines can all trade with each other on a scale of a millionth of a second. Uh, probably like fifty microseconds. Uh, I, I, I it's I don't crazy know what, though. I, I don't my know point what is, the, your mind can't process information. That yeah, exactly. You're going to be doing it in like 100 microseconds or something like that. That's going to be really fast. But the key here to realize is ultimately, what is the evolution of your stock sale? First, you purchase a stock, and then later you sell it for cash. Right? Like, uh, there's no like you purchase and hold on to ever. The whole point is you're going to sell it for more money later. So each time you purchase the stock. The key is the spread. How much are people willing to buy it versus how much are people willing to sell it? Like if people are willing to buy it at $29 and sell it at $30, that's, there's a spread of $1 there. Probably the two prices, $29.50. Every time you purchase or sell the stock, you're paying a price that is equal to half the spread. So starting to lose me, so you're going to sell ba- some people. Okay. I mean, basically, the key is the cost of your transaction is largely predicated 
on how close people are willing to buy and sell. If I'm willing to sell, buy it at $29.99 and sell it at $30 flat, your costs are pretty low because you can buy and sell with a, losing a penny each time. Whereas if I'm willing to buy it for a dollar and sell it at $100, every time you enter the market, you're paying a really big price because to exit, you're going to give up a lot, to buy and sell. Like There's okay. a huge difference from what the true price of the item is. Since okay. high-frequency trading has become a reality, the actual spread on the market has dropped dramatically from well over a penny to consistently a penny now. So the See, end effect on the market has been very good. You answered my question because I was thinking like HFT helps us achieve that theoretical perfect market where buy and sell, buy and sell, you always reach the right price based on supply and demand and the desires. And what you're yeah. saying is with the machines help doing it at a large scale, that is actually become more of a reality. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, which there's is two, good. There's two. There's two factors you want to consider there. A, you want to figure figure what is the current spread in the market, or what's the average spread since HFT has entered the market. The spread has consistently dropped to a penny for I, I, for stocks priced under a hundred dollars. Uh, so that means you have the best possible spread according to current SEC rules because the spread can't be less than a penny. Uh, beyond that. The, uh, the autocorrelation of the market has changed to be less than a penny. So what is autocorrelation? It means, hey, a bunch of people bought uh, the stock a minute ago. What does this tell me towards the future price of the stock? Does that mean the stock is going to continue to rise or continue to drop? Well, now that's known as autocorrelation. It used to be that there was basically enough autocorrelation so that after a big event in the market, you could predict that the price was going to continue to move for several minutes afterwards. That's no longer true, which means now when you enter the market, the price that the market is, is quoting you is within the spread. Like somewhere in the spread is the true theoretical price. If you had like an oracle telling you what the true, all right. the math together, like the price really is within that spread. You are getting the fairest possible deal. Okay. Interesting. Um, do you have uh, so many questions? I don't even know where to start. So I guess you traded. You did. You worked for this high frequency trading firm for a while. Yes. Did you enjoy it? Did you have fun? Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of good moments and a lot of, you know, like with any job, there's a lot of good moments. There's a lot of bad moments. We, I started off doing development work for them in New York. I think anybody's goal in a trading firm is to end up on a trading team performing signal research, trying to get to the top of that. And so then I joined a four-person trading team in Chicago where I spent the next three years. We had some success with uh, trading oil futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And, you know, the success was just such a good feeling when you have a strategy out there that's automa automatically trading and making several thousand dollars a day. That's a really good feeling. When, when that stopped, though, the pressure you feel is immense and uh, the success you're seeing for the amount of work you're putting in is very small. It's less of a good feeling. I see. And I guess that brings us to why you left because dealing with the lows, it's not as much. You, know, as all, yeah. you have to expect that you will not always succeed, and, but you still have to go through that failure on a trading level. Yeah, I, I'm, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, I started to look for new jobs and you see you meet some other like small successful businessmen, you see how much effort they're putting in versus how much effort the trading team is putting in. And you can see that uh, maybe the key to success isn't uh, competing in the biggest pond, 
but finding a small pond where there aren't very many fish. Oh, yeah. No, I, it's true. I mean, the, the key is, I, I mean, I think this is a lesson in life. You can try to be the biggest fish in the big pond, but that's going to be really tough. Or you can try to put all of your effort into instead finding the small pond to succeed in. And finding that pond is going to be very tough. But if you do find it, the level of effort you put in to succeed in it may be a bit less. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the question is whether you want to put, like, one thing, the difficulty is finding the path. The other th difficulty is actually finding the food in the pond. So there's, like, a mythical oasis of life. <laughs> and, like, is the problem the yeah, yeah. Well, Or is the, problem, is the problem finding the worms in the pond? Uh, yeah, I, I've always felt, you know, that I can be a, a big fish in a small pond. But I'm just a big fish, baby. Yum, yum, yum. Um, tell me, you were in Chicago, mm -hmm. you've lived in New York City, you live in Aspen, oh, sorry, change the conversation, different yeah. topic. Hot tips, I, I want to remind you that we do have two segments on the show that I'd love to do with you. Yes, yes. We I'm have... kind of telling you my life story now, but let, let's get to some more practical information for people. No, no, no. So both, both. I mean, everything is tied together. So there's, there's the hot tip segment where you can basically give any tips you want, whatever you consider to be a hot tip, you know, um, to the audience laid on us. And you've already given some interesting ones. And we can, just, we can also just call one of those the official hot tip. And then the other segment is I got this device on loan from Elon Musk. It's, it's a bit experimental. But basically, you know, using it, we're able to transport, teleport into a place and, and uh, time of your choosing. You just kind of have to describe it, and we really almost literally are taken there. So think about a place maybe you want to describe to us. Take us anywhere you want. I mean, that would be fun as well. Um, okay, ahead. I mean, I mean, my my tip for you. I mean, if you're young, my tip for you. Hot tips. Oh, hot tips. Hot tip, my cats. hot tip is if you're young, you're in college, you're like doing pretty well, but you don't know what you're doing in life. The key is to focus on figuring out how you're going to make money, and not just like think you. No one's satisfied working a nine to five job for the rest of your life, so you should be focused on figuring out how are you going to succeed, how are you going to make the money or how are you going to be happy in a nine to five job? And um, really you should probably be focused right now and then on, can you start a business? What type of business can you sell? Because you've got more free time now than you're ever going to have in the future. And now is the time when you're going to be your smartest. So really try to succeed in, on that level. And uh, if you're older, what's my advice to you? Uh, my advice to you is that you can get pretty good deals on bread at Whole Foods. Uh, I really like their hala and also their cranberry walnut bread. So, you know, don't be afraid to try some gluten. Great hot tips here. And I would, I'll piggyback and say today's environment is different than even five years ago. Yeah, actually, I mean, if you're older, the number one piece of advice is just never give up. Things haven't worked out perfectly thus far. Well, they're going to wor work out perfectly tomorrow. You can view life like you're in a maze. And uh, life keeps on giving you negative feedback or not perfect feedback, not exactly what you wanted. Well, you can view, there's two view, viewpoints on this. One viewpoint is I should stop walking forward. I'm never going to get to the end of the maze. The other viewpoint is in spite of negative information, just around that corner, just when I turn left around that corner, 
we're going to get to the end of the maze. And the key, one of the keys to success is that uh, you always think the end of the maze is just around the next corner. And yeah. when, you, when you take that philosophy, other people will find it attractive and try to attach themselves to you, and the end result will be good things. Absolutely agreed. I think in today's world, you have the long tail. You have access to people, right? We never had that before. You're never able to have a good idea and, and just post it online on whatever platform you wanted and get people to actually read it, listen, learn from it. Now, we live in a you, know, you can be a fan of basketball and, and do a basketball blog, vlog, whatever, content, and get a small audience to generate revenue. That's just an idea, but like you can, I think if technology keeps up at this level of evolution and advancement, it is very possible that we'll just have experts and everybody's going to just kind of work as an expert in whatever they want to do or whatever they're good at. You know, sometimes, look, every job is going to have its stresses. That's a given, but you should always be trying to do what you're good at. Um, anyway, so great hot tip. Thank you. Let's, let's, Quickly pivot and say, okay, so you're in Chicago, you're trading. Is that where you met your wife, Manet? I did meet my wife in Chicago. You're correct. How was that? Uh, what do you mean by how was that? How was meeting my wife? Uh, we met in a bar. Um, yeah. We had a date. That was pretty good. Then we had additional dates. And, you know, before you knew it, we got married. And then we had a kid. And, uh, you know, if I have advice to you on that, it's don't have kids. But if you do have a kid who's as good as Susan, because she's just, uh, I mean, she's pretty much the best kid ever. I mean, she's been so loving, so cute, so precious. It's just a really good feeling. I love it. I love your whole family. When did you guys move to Aspen? Uh, about a year after we married, the trading team started to fall apart. And I found an exciting opportunity in Aspen, Colorado. And I was just really excited to move to a more environmentally friendly location from Chicago. I really wanted to move out of the big city. I mean, that, that again was me following that thing that led me to San Diego. I wanted to move to an environment I was very interested in. And uh, so that's exactly what I did. What's Aspen like? Um, it's a bit focused. The upside is just the beautiful environment and all of the athletic what do you mean, like nature and stuff, just like mountains yeah, and trees and greenery, mount mountains, trees, and all of the opportunities to do activities related to them. Like that, that's the beautiful thing. I mean, it's uh, more of a vacation destination. So the locals will be a bit party oriented and maybe a bit trust fund oriented. So when you don't have a trust fund, that can be a little bit frustrating. San Diego has the same problem. Very similar. Does it really? Yeah, there's a lot of tourists here. There's also trust fund people and uh, party people. Yeah, I mean, because clearly the easiest solution to all of my problems would be if I had a trust fund. I mean, that, that would just uh, make all of your employment concerns seem a little bit less. Yeah, I mean, there's I've nothing, got, there's I've nothing got wrong stream. with uh, wanting money. Like, I, sometimes people look down upon that and say, oh, it's not about the money. I want some mission. You know, you can do good in the world, but also be honest with yourself that well, I'm, you I want mean, money. I, I think you're saying. getting into a problem that our society has in which it makes it appear that uh, you need all this money and then you know you should just work so hard for all of these companies putting in your 60 hour weeks because eventually it's going to pay off 
with all of this money because, you know, you really need that designer clothing. You really need <laughs> this plastic surgery. You really need to take a trip to Seychelles. But uh, maybe... Is that how you say it? Seychelles? It's an island not... near France? Or is, where is that? It's a French island in the Caribbean? Or is it I Channel th- Islands? No, I think it's down uh, in the, like, Australia area. But uh, that's actually a good question. I've seen the pictures. They look good. I'm not actually sure where it's located. I thought it was... It's in East Africa in the Indian Oceans. Okay, very cool. So, uh, luckily, now you can find that out immediately as opposed to just uh, wondering. It's in East... Oh, it's actually near uh, Madagascar. And I've always wanted to go to Madagascar, too. So, it makes sense that we would be talking about this. It's kind of in the same area as Indonesia, Papua New Guinea. It's going to have weather like that. Anywhere you want to take us while we're just traveling around the world? Those are interesting places. I may be nice to go to... Yes? What's your favorite place that you've been to? I definitely... I mean, that I've been to... Like, as a tourist, going to um, Myanmar is really the favorite place I've been to. Myanmar. All right, let's go there. Hold on. Give me a second. Well, you got to take out this thing. It's using very unstable fuel. Pop one in here. It's the transformation teleportation brought to you by Elon Musk. Thanks, Elon. All right, we're ready to go. Myanmar, which, uh, which city? Or is it just the country we need Oh, to let's go to, to Bagan. Bagan. How do you spell that? B-A-G-A-N. B-A-G-A-N? Yeah. All right, talk to me. What am I seeing here? Oh, we're seeing, the, we're seeing the temples right now. We're on the river, and we're just – there's so many temples. Let's, let's climb to the top of one of these temples so we can look at all of them. <sighs> They're so beautiful. I mean, just as far as the eyes can see. I what hope kind of can... temples are these? Um, they're temples to Buddha, fundamentally. I mean, all of them are temples for the, the great Buddha. And, uh, you are, know... are these Buddhist, Buddhist temples? Yes. Okay. Tell me more. I, I mean, they're just Have you beautiful. been inside of one? Oh, yeah. You, what I does mean, it look like? There, there's, it's not like there's just one. There's thousands of them. And uh, it's kind Do of... Do people live in, in the temples? No, I mean, the temples are for loving Buddha. And, I mean, you live in your home, but you're just surrounded by thousands of temples. And when you go into the temple, are there chairs, there are tables? Is it no, just... no. I mean, you know, these temples were built like a thousand or maybe 1,500 years ago. What are they made out of? Rock. Rocks. Rock, stone. I mean, I don't know. I'm not an architect, so I see brick, <laughs> I see rock, I see You're stone. You're a software architect. You know, I don't know. Ex- I don't know exactly what technology they used to build these because they didn't build them recently. I thought. But the- when did you visit Bhutan? Bhutan. Uh, I was 29 at that point, maybe 30. Were you meditating? Did you meditate in one of these temples? I. Every day, I find a little bit of time to meditate. So certainly, I meditated each day I was there. All right, all right. So you're in Bhutan, Bagan, Bagan. Why keep saying Bagan, Bagan? I've never heard of it before. And uh, is there like a city center? Um, yes, I guess. I don't know that. uh... What, What did you eat there? What kind of food? Uh, you could say that. Uh. Vietnamese food is similar to Thai food with only a bigger focus on fish sauce. Even more fish sauce? Like, <laughs> fish sauce extreme. 
Is it fish sauce in extreme flavor? Well, that, that's... <sighs> yeah, so I can't imagine what extreme fish sauce is like. I, is it vegetarian heavy or were there meat and stuff too? Meat. I mean, you know, I, they're, they're going to eat the same type of things we do, but with fish sauce. Yeah, they make burgers and pizza with fish sauce? Uh, less, less, less cow, less pizza. I mean, are you eating get, something right now? I, I had a little bit more of the challah that I bought at uh, Whole Foods. I became hungry. I mean, I'm this hungry inter- too. This, this interview, is- has, this interview has gone on for a bit of time, and uh, all this talking has made me realize I needed to fuel myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You got it. All right, so you we're in Bagan, and it's in Myanmar. It must be cheap though. Like, how much is dinner? Like two dollars. Uh, maybe, I, I'm sure, you know, as with everything, you're in a hotel, it's maybe you're spending $10. I mean, like, uh, but it's nothing, beautiful. Are people nothing, nice? People are very nice. Nothing there's, I mean, if you eat what the locals eat, it's going to be very cheap. But uh, maybe, I mean, people are living there on like $10 a month. Were you, you there made, by yourself? Yes, I was there alone. Where'd you stay at a hotel, you said? How did you I get around? It, uh one day i took a motorbike another day i took uh went around on a rickshaw uh you know going going on like getting taken around on a horse is pretty fun so that that one day on a horse one day one day on a mule one day on a uh motorcycle I think it was actually an electric motorcycle. And you were doing a lot of hiking too. It sounds like, and we did a little bit of hiking, but it's more just go to the hotel, go to the, um, go to the temples, see the graves and the memorials to kings and queens long past. And I mean, it's just a very beautiful area. Beautiful. It is beautiful. I mean, it's just very beautiful. I mean. It's really like nothing you've ever seen before. I just feel confident if you go there, it's like nothing you've ever seen before in your life. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, I just saw it. I teleported there. Now we're back home here. Thank you mm-hmm. for taking us there. Oh, it was, it's really good. And I mean, you know, just the people in Burma are just so nice. Like, uh, it's, it's a good feeling all the way around. I'm not sure if we should call it Myanmar or Burma. I'm not sure which of them is appropriate. I know there's something something going on, and I just don't know which one to refer you to. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I, the, the political activists can kind of let us know. Yeah, Hashtag. exactly. There, there's something going on there where Burma actually only refers to part of the country. So by referring to them as Burmese, I think... You're ignoring the fact that the north part is the, disputed a little bit, and uh, the people it sounds in the north like you are know more than you've let on, Tom. <laughs> but I might like, be wrong. I, like but I might be wrong. I might be wrong, and it might be actually the exact opposite. And like, all right, all right, all right. So let, let's just finish off your story arc here. We we're in Aspen. You're working for some company. You didn't actually tell us, but uh, some kind of development, and then you move over to back to the West Coast, right? Yeah, Defense Metrics in San Diego. That was, uh, you know, the company in Aspen shut down, so we had to find a new job. I found a job in San Diego working for a IoT company startup called Sense Metrics in San Diego. Inter of things. Yeah, and uh, so we moved over to San Diego. Do you think so? Like, where are we with that? There's been this promise of Internet of Things. You know, my my refrigerator will have Wi-Fi. Every you know, I will, I'll never lose my key because it will have a little chip inside. 
where are we? It feels like we haven't quite progressed beyond whatever we're at. I don't know. Yeah, it's just not something uh, I would recommend to you. I would stay away. I, you know, as far as like employment, I would stay as far away from IoT as you can. It's the dream of the 80s being re- realized in uh, this decade. So, you know, remember when you had like 20 universal remotes for each of your a universal remote that's supposed to control your TV, your DVD player, and your computer or something. Uh-huh. The solution wasn't to create a universal remote. The solution was just to integrate. I mean, the, the solution wasn't to create a universal remote. And it was to uh, have everything I, on, in the TV. Now I have a smart TV and one remote that controls everything. Yeah, a, exactly. Yes. Exactly. So it's the dream of the 80s being realized today. And some companies are succeeding with it, but it's, it's not something you want to tie yourself to as a developer, in my opinion. It just, it's a lot of tedious working with shitty technology and trying to establish, put another shitty piece of technology on top of it so it integrates. I mean, sure, there's money to be made there, sure, but uh, I haven't seen any of these companies be ultra successful. I guess the, the best of them is probably C3 iot but i mean that company's been around now for maybe 10 years and it's still not public so it can't be that successful interesting but so what was the dream in the 80s i mean it's that 80s dream of a universal remote and there's remember how you used to buy these like 25 dollars universal yeah yeah, yeah 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 so and now and it's the, being that, realized where all the data is all interconnected and you're able the sensors are cheap now right like you can put sensors into things that was that that was also uh, i mean the, no? the thing i'm trying to get at is that those universal remotes and stuff of connecting everything together with this other expensive piece of technology that didn't actually work out and it didn't take off then and now that that's pretty much what oh, internet of things is now now it's it's all kind of a mishmash of shit that's like with more shit and spit and gum and and it's yeah it's not exactly. it's not you know it, it's not like having an actual smart TV, my Samsung here. I put it on. I got my HBO. I got my Netflix. One remote. Easy peasy. Did you hear Samsung, I think, is also stealing our data? I mean, whatever. Take it all, baby. Take all my data. Give it. I mean, I'm married to a Korean woman, so I have to be supportive <laughs> of Korea. <laughs> but, all right, uh, all right. I mean, you know, Korea's got a bigger issue than, than we do with these few few families controlling everything there. Samsung is one of the table where a few people are. Samsung inheriting. is owned by a family. I didn't know that. Uh, it was started I mean, Korea, by a family. Uh, Korea has a big issue where there's a few very wealthy families that control everything, and uh, they're known as the table. And they they're both Im- seemingly immune from repercussions by the government, and also control all of the money and uh, have all of the power. Similar to people, the opinions people have of this country, only it's much more extreme there. Samsung is one of the chables. Just Samsung, Daewoo, all of, the, all of the big companies there are controlled by a few families that have been inherited them for year over year who t- got this control as uh, at the end of the Korean War, what emerged was a few families who took control of most of the business opportunities in the country and now have a very close relationship with the government and get most of the government money that supports those businesses and uh, find a way to continually pass control of the fam- of the company from one family to the next. It's like the HBO series Succession. Have you seen that? It's I good. have not, but uh, yeah, I recommend it. Um, 
Interesting. Okay, Japan, I feel like, has a similar thing, right? Like Toyota and all these other things. Yeah, it's these large industrial conglomerates. Mitsubishi. That uh, it's not so much, even if it is a publicly traded corporation, somehow they have a way where the family continues to control it. See, in the Russia, in the 90s, when they all collapsed, they just had, like, the right thug, the right smart dude in the right place. Just, you know, no family, just one guy with a couple of friends becoming billionaire oligarchs. Um, yeah, I don't think that's good. Yeah, either. I mean, it, I, I think it's very similar, in fact. Yeah. It's just they're using a different word in Korea, and it's more out, both are out in the open, but people, there's a little bit more democracy in Korea than there is in Russia, so people are a little bit more upset about it in Korea than in Russia, because they have more chance of uh, controlling the issue. Yeah, shout out free media. Hashtag, we love uh, First Amendment. Um, hey, what you so you IoT? You spent some time there again. You know, brilliant. You're able to code hardware, software, metrics, metrics, blah blah blah. And then you go to Silicon Valley. I mean, yes. you right now are living straight in the middle of the epicenter. Do you find there's more, and you worked in Facebook as a data engineer, like, do you find there's a lot of talent now in this area? I mean, you've seen talent, you've seen UCSD. Yeah, I mean, the, you've there's seen more. There, people are working. I always thought people work very hard in New York versus other locations. Uh, the hours in Silicon Valley are absolutely crazy, and the like intensity with which people both devote themselves to the company and view their success in life based on where they work is even more extreme in Silicon Valley than anywhere else I've lived. So that it, it's a very intense place. And I mean, from a job opportunity perspective, you're going to get a lot there, which can be both good, but uh, you know, maybe the solution in life is to not view your life through uh, the company and view your life through your family and what you're doing during the other time. So yeah. I think there's a there's a big cultural issue with uh, with Silicon Valley. Is there a big obsession with numbers, like you the bank account? Yes, I mean there's the yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which makes sense. But you said people work hard here. Did you and there's more opportunity? Do you feel like the level of talent that is here is higher than other places, or no? Uh, the level of talent in, uh, I mean, the t- the talent pool in uh, particular at the Big Four is really extreme. What's the Big Four? Uh, you know, there's there's a few. Bag, Facebook, yeah, what Amazon, what, what's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Go- Netflix, Google, Apple, maybe also Microsoft. I don't know. Gotcha. Etsy, Pinterest. <laughs> Those are not on quite the same level. Um, there's the view of, I mean, you know, you listen to the radio, people tell you about how tough their life is and then they'll tell you, but I, I work in big tech, so my life has worked out. That's how people view their lives in Silicon Valley. And uh, I, I think there's something deeply flawed where, you know, the success of a large conglomerate is really your success. I, I don't believe that's true, but that's how people view it. Well, some of them are getting pretty rich in the process, right? Sure, but uh, this this view, you go to a party and the first people, the first thing you'll ask when you meet somebody is, where do you work? You know, like if you live in the South, the first thing you'll 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 ask is, uh, hey, 
wait, what church do you go to? You live in Silicon Valley. The first thing you'll ask is, what company do you work for and what's your position there? Interesting. And what if you say you're like, I'm a, I don't know, something non tech related, a library teacher? I, I, I don't know. You're, you're do you get more to... attention or less attention? How do you survive? <laughs> right. It's expensive over there. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what happens there, but that's, uh, I mean, that's what people are, people are going to talk about it. And I mean, Throw that's some really numbers how... at me. How much is a one-bedroom apartment in Silicon Valley these days? Probably going for about twenty-seven, twenty-eight hundred, maybe thirty-two hundred, depending much, on how nice it how is. How much is daycare? You t- you were talking about a one bedroom apartment. Maybe you can get it down to like twenty. I, I mean, it depends on how nice. No, two I said bedroom. I said how much is daycare? Two bedroom though, four grand. Two bedroom, four grand. I guess yeah. If I need daycare, I probably need a two bedroom apartment. So okay. And then what about daycare? How much is that? Daycare is going to run you maybe seventeen hundred dollars a month. Mm. Maybe two thousand, two thousand, depending. I mean, you know, if you want to get Mark, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg's daycare, I'm sure you're paying like three thousand dollars a month. Maybe I should be the one in Mark Zuckerberg's daycare doing the caring during the day. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there, there's there's money to be made there, but uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think most of the daycare people are making money. It's more, or I mean, they're making money, but I don't think they're getting super rich. The, the idea well, you is can't to get have rich a, selling your time, unless maybe you own. Yeah, them. exactly. The idea is to have a chain of daycares that are prom- promising elite educational services for you for these really young kids and. Uh, you know, as a parent, I will say, even if you staying at home, there's just massive advantages to sending your kid to a daycare because they just learn so much from the other kids. And all of those kids are getting together and competing and learning from each other. And Susan went from knowing a few words to knowing so many words. And you start to realize all of her, dee, dee, do, do, do. You realize she's saying, yes, no, dad, can I have this? And you just start to realize how smart your kid is. And you just start to hear her singing ABC and happy birthday and uh, Santa songs. And you just start to realize how smart she is and how capable she is. And, you know, I will say right. on your podcast, if you want to get success, the key is to meet, some, meet, meet Susan because she's, she's going to be so successful. I don't think that's how I met Susan. I don't think I'm going to be successful based on that. But I think one well, thing I you, hope, you I hope to say is that um, – She's bilingual, right? So Mine, oh, your she, wife, she, talks to her, Susan in Korean all the I time. I mean, she, she speaks Korean, she speaks Spanish, and she also speaks English. Well, I mean, I think the Spanish is pushing it, but definitely Korean well, and What English. do you mean? She, she goes to a Spanish-only daycare. She goes on to a Spanish-only daycare? Yeah, so now she asks for aqua. <laughs> so how is she learning ABC and Happy Birthday? Where is that coming from? Uh, she, I mean... Uh, some of the kids speak English there as well. So she, she goes to a bilingual daycare and she lives in a bilingual house. And, and com- So she's going to be confused for a while until she gets it all straight. That's good. Yeah, I mean, she's tri-curious. Just how we want it. Interested in three languages, yes. And uh, she's... <laughs> I didn't ask you what it meant. <laughs> I wanted to leave that hanging. I um... mean, <laughs> and you know, I think she's going to be very successful. Track curious Susan. I and she needs all of the advantages. I hope, you're, I hope Mene and Susan are okay with you calling her that. But that makes I sense. Mean, trilingual, trilingual. Susan's the best. I, I, you love your daughter, which is great. Shouldn't I? 
I really think you should. So it's perfect. Mm-hmm. This has been a lot of fun. Um, anything else you want? Any hot tips? You know, we traveled somewhere. We talked about. I mean, your, I your mean, journey. my my number one piece of advice to, to anyone is just never give up. You have all the skills you need right now for great success. And I mean, I know I do too. So, and just continue to try to find uh, find that success, and that your success in the work world will partially be your abilities but also just the attitude and the positivity you bring there. And when you bring the right positivity and you see an opportunity, you know, to have networked and uh, find, find the right opportunity, that's the key. And I mean, I guess one last piece of advice I would give is, you know, you start, you start working someplace and you don't like it. Well, you should try to find a new job. And uh, this perspective, you know, a lot of people have this perspective. You work here for a while. Oh, it's such a good company. You know, people will respect that on your resume. So just be a great resume builder. That- that's a stupid fucking way to look at life. Life is too short to be moving in the wrong direction. So if you're moving in the wrong direction, find the right direction immediately. Don't do it. Don't do it next year. Do it this year. I love it. And then I will. I'll. Yeah, I love it. And I'll add tactically, like, you can learn things online. You can, you just need, and I think you, you got to have goals, right? Like, you can look up something called OKRs, like measurable goals. But basically, you know, if you add accountability to yourself somehow, because you plan some things out, you say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going I'm to write for a half hour every morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn Python. I'm going to learn SQL online. I'm going to do it for a half hour every day. In the mm-hmm. next three months, you become a SQL developer. You get your first job. You do that for a year. You know, you move away from fast food and retail, whatever it is you're doing. I, the tools are out there, and, like, you can Google it. I don't, I don't need to tell you how to do that. I think you're right. You have to keep that positive mindset and go. And I think uh, you got to it's you know, you gotta have the motivation. If you're interested, you know, don't listen to this podcast. Go out there and do, right? That's what I keep mm-hmm. telling myself. I can spend a long time thinking up jokes, ideas, podcast segments, uh, write article segments. The point, and I have to tell myself, okay, stop thinking, sit down and just do, just do, just do the yoga, just go for that run. Don't think too hard. Create. Do. Well, I, don't I be agree. judged. You know, don't feel judged. I think people are afraid to do things. They're afraid it's going to be bad. They're afraid it's going to be judged by people. Yeah, just I, do it. Don't worry. I think the key is to set, set a schedule for yourself and keep it. And if you are using the computer, be using it to learn and to push yourself forward. Don't be on these social networks. Don't be on looking at uh, whatever your addiction is. Be using it to fuel your, your professional growth and your personal, you know, just grow your, your knowledge base and your abilities as opposed to growing your abilities to waste time. Is there, do you want to be found online anywhere? Do you have any social presence where you? Uh, I've actually deactivated my Facebook account because I'm trying to be just more proactive about learning. And I know that I just waste time and I have access to these social networks. What about like LinkedIn or a blog? I'm Tom Petrillo on LinkedIn. You can find me on there. That is my social network now. Yeah, Tom Petrillo, super bright guy. If you need a developer, you can't go wrong. This guy's going to solve all your problems. And um, I've been Pavel, also known as a data Pavel. It's, this has been fun. I it actually, has been fun. It's good talking to Pavel. Of course, my friend. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Any, I guess that's it. I just uh, thank you so much, and um, everybody out there in the land, thank you for listening. We love you. The podcast is for you. You are the podcast. Yeah, I love all of you. 
you know, we gave a lot of advice us, and it was kind of fun to do it. And, uh, you know, I think visiting Badan, Bagan is on my menu now. So, as always, thanks to Elon Musk for letting us bar his experimental machine. Um, happy every day. Happy Thursday. Happy Friday. We'll talk to you soon. Godspeed.